You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll start with breaking details tonight involving the discovery of a man's body in Richmond. RCMP are deeming the death suspicious. The body was discovered in a home slated for demolition in the 9000 block of Audlin Road. The integrated homicide investigation team has now taken conduct of the investigation. Uh, the victim's identity has tentatively been identified, but we are working towards uh, finding his family and delivering that news of his death. Investigators will remain on the scene throughout the evening collecting evidence. Anyone with information is asked to contact IHIT. New details in a major police presence in Langley we first told you about on last night's news hour. Vancouver Police and the Combined Forces Special Enforcement Unit descended on a property near 202A Street and 73A Avenue yesterday afternoon. IHIT now says they were looking for 27-year-old Brandon Nathan Texera, who's wanted in connection with a murder in Surrey. We've told you about him before. Texera was not there. They're once again appealing for information on his whereabouts. He is considered extremely violent. Police believe a man wanted for murder in Newport Beach, California, may be in the Vancouver area. Peter Chadwick is a real estate investor, and he's accused of killing his wife of 21 years. He was freed in 2015 on $2 million bond, but later failed to appear in court. A $100,000 reward has been offered, and the case is now the subject of a podcast from the Newport Beach Police Department to get attention globally. Investigators say he has the money to go anywhere, and Newport Beach Police believe he has ties to Vancouver and may be based in or around the area. The rollout of intersection cameras to catch speeders in this province is being delayed. The government had warned the cameras would be up and running this fall, but that has now changed. Nadia Stewart joins us now with more on why and the concerns already being raised. Nadia. Yeah, Sophie, more time is needed to review data and upgrade the cameras. That is the word from Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth. There are 140 red light cameras across the province now. They operate 24 hours a day, seven days a week. About 35 of those cameras were to be outfitted to catch speeders. Farnworth tells Global News they need more time to examine the intersections, which ones are worst. Now, this is the latest update that comes after much criticism. Farnworth says the changes won't happen until next year, and that news is being welcomed by critics. We want to find out which ones are the worst intersections, which ones have the most problems. Then we're going to narrow that down to about 35 intersections, which will have upgraded cameras, which will be able to detect speed. Uh, we're expecting that will come, um, you know, be up and running and online uh, by uh, the summer um, of uh, 2019. I think that's an appropriate step. This seemed like a really rushed decision that they made that was based solely on crash data statistics at intersections rather than being based on good sound research into other mechanisms they could try before going straight to a cash grab type of enforcement. Now, just to be clear, the program is being delayed, not scrapped, and there are still questions surrounding how this program will work, specifically the formula that's being used to set those speed thresholds, Sophie. Nadia Stewart reporting in Burnaby for us. Nadia, thank you. Some scary moments in Agassiz overnight when flames engulfed a dairy farm. 
Four barns were destroyed when the farm at Cameron Road and Limbert Road went up in flames around 10 o'clock last night. Neighbors rallied and managed to save the majority of the nearly 175 cows. Two are confirmed dead, two others are missing. No one who lived on the farm was injured, thankfully. Crews believe the fire started inside a bunker silo full of corn. Forced to move multiple times, homeless campers on Vancouver Island, known as the Namigans Nation, braced to be booted from another location today. The tent city residents moved into Goldstream Provincial Park. But just as the situation was becoming heated, word of a reprieve. Kylie Stanton explains what happened. Another morning, another eviction. The roughly 30 remaining campers associated with what they call Namigans Nation are getting used to this routine. Really, the third eviction in a week is, is shocking. Every camper behind the gates at Goldstream Provincial Park is told to file out. Vacations interrupted. I don't feel good about it, but... You know, it is what it is. As for those who have nowhere else to go, it's devastating. I feel like a freaking yo-yo. This has got to stop. There's strengths in numbers, and that's the one reason why we're all together. But things change by the minute. First, the campers get word they've been granted a two-week stay. It was relief. Only to learn the Ministry of Environment has downgraded that to a 24-hour reprieve in order to gather information about the situation. So we have conflicting messages. We're not sure. It seems neither was the government, calling it a miscommunication. Later clarifying, saying there is no deadline in place at present for the homeless campers. The province is working with them on supports. Campers say the solution is simple. I want shelter. I want protection. I want people for us, not against us. But that brings little sympathy from those living in the area. In fact, things got heated. I'm asking you, why are the police in my neighborhood? It's not because of me. When they're doing crime and drugs, yeah, that's a problem in an area like this. Vandalism, theft and drug use have been reported, leading to a small uptick in crime here. But police aren't jumping to conclusions. It would be inappropriate to blanket everyone there at the campground that they're the ones who are responsible for the action. The bottom line, the campers have nowhere to go. All of the shelters in Greater Victoria are currently at capacity. And those operating them, their hands are tied. We just tell them that we, we don't have any space for them. That means they wait for the housing promised by the provincial government that's years in the making and will only be possible if municipalities come to the table. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Langford. A 21-year-old man from Oregon accused of crossing the border into Canada without stopping is now facing charges. It happened last Saturday morning. The truck made its way through the crossing and then took off toward Vancouver. VPD located the vehicle near West 16th and Oak Street, but when they attempted to pull it over, the driver took off. The suspect eventually crashed into another vehicle near West 10th and Alma before crashing into a retail store. 21-year-old Colin Patrick Wilson has been charged with dangerous operation of a motor vehicle and flight from a peace officer. He remains in custody. New for this election in Vancouver, voters will be using a randomized ballot. After years of candidates' names listed alphabetically, this time a draw will be held to decide on the order. Richard Zussman explains why the change, which has been approved by city council, may create even more confusion. When you walk into the ballot box in Vancouver on election day, things are going to look different. For the first time, the names on the ballot aren't going to appear from A to Z, but rather the order will be randomized. Research has shown that voters are more likely to vote uh, uh, for candidates that are listed 
at the top of the list. City Councilor George Affleck, who isn't running again, supports the randomized ballot, but says this may be a strange election to have such a substantial change. We have 21 people running for mayor, 71 running for council. This is insane. And the potential insanity has the city putting on extra staff on voting days to help people with the ballot. Political strategist Mike McDonald says the confusion is amplified for those that don't speak English as a first language. With a randomized ballot, it's going to be harder for people with limited English skills to, to find names on the ballot. They're not going to be familiar as familiar in English. And that's going to be a real challenge. One remedy would be to number the candidates on the ballot, but the city charter doesn't give the chief elections officer that power. Vision Council candidate Wei Zhang would have been last under the old system and now must wait for a lottery to take place tomorrow to determine where he appears on the ballot. I'm hoping my name will be either the very last one or in the top, you know, top 10. And to add all that confusion, there are new spending rules this election, which means less money to spend on advertising for candidates. All a recipe for a randomized ballot to potentially lead to random people ending up in Vancouver's 10 council seats. Uh, yes, but that is not the only ballot issue in Vancouver. Richard joins us now to talk about the controversy over one candidate, Richard, granted the right to use Chinese characters while others have not. And it's landed in court now. Yeah, it has, Chris. And just look at this. These are the names on the list to be city councillors in Vancouver. You can see there are a lot of them. It can be confusing. And Brandon Yan wanted to use his Chinese characters on the ballot. That was approved. But Sophia Wu, who's running for school trustee, doesn't agree that he should be the only one allowed to use Chinese characters. So as you mentioned, she is trying to take the city to court. She has filed civil claim. We asked the city of Vancouver for a statement and they provided one about the situation. Let me read to you part of that statement. Mr. Yan was asked by the chief election officer to confirm that the Chinese characters are his usual name and if not, his nomination could be challenged. Mr. Yan provided written confirmation that the Chinese characters are his usual name name given to him at birth by his parents. What Wu wants to see now is all Chinese names can use their Chinese characters as well, but that doesn't look likely for this election cycle, Chris. That would have to be resolved pretty quickly, wouldn't it? All right, thanks very much, Richard Zussman in Victoria. Vancouver City Council has approved a controversial policy that will add density to most of the city's single-family neighborhoods. The vote last night was 7-4 to four in favour of allowing duplexes to be built on 67,000 single-family lots. It comes after two days of contentious public hearings where some residents argued it would drive up speculation. Others support the idea of adding more housing stock to the market, though. Experts say the move effectively signals the end of the single-family home in Vancouver. A surprise development today involving a controversial supportive housing project for Surrey. Just hours before a community open house, the application was withdrawn. As Jennifer Palmer reports, it all has to do with public pressure and a decision by one of the candidates in the upcoming civic election. Good boy. Crystal Jackson and her son Patrick are on their daily walk in the heart of Cloverdale, but a proposed supportive housing site is worrying this new mom. I'm definitely fearful and 100% uh, opposed um, to this location. Crystal moved to Cloverdale from Vancouver, looking for a place to raise her growing family. It's a very quaint, clean, safe area, so this is, this is definitely uh, 
a huge stress on our lives right now. She's not the only one opposing the location of the 60-unit supportive housing in the heart of Cloverdale at 176 A Street and 58th Avenue. I truly believe they're trying to ramrod this in and going, oh, look what we did, so wonderful. The area is undergoing a renewal, with new homes being built and several daycares within meters. People moved into this area because it was family-friendly, because you say hello as you walk down the street to people. The community so incensed they even started a petition. More than 3,000 people signed. Business owners are also worried. We only have two main commercial streets in Cloverdale, and this is for the next 60 years going to take away uh, potential commercial development. Mounting public pressure, along with a request from the city of Surrey, resulted in BC Housing withdrawing its application for supportive housing at the location. Mayoral candidate Tom Gill says the community let him know they were against it. I did a walk at the site and you know, I felt that the concerns that the community had had significant merit. A city of Surrey spokesperson says they will continue to look for a suitable location. Meanwhile, some residents point out that only minutes away, the Bill Reed Homeless Shelter is in a location no one can complain about. Cloverdale isn't heartless. We know there's a need. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Well, the future of policing in Surrey is also becoming a hot-button election issue. The RCMP speaking out today, responding to criticism from mayoral candidate Doug McCallum. Keith Baldry has more on what was said and why the RCMP wanted to clear the air. Whether or not Surrey should have its own police force has been up for debate for years. And today, in the middle of a municipal election campaign, the RCMP, which has the police contract for Surrey, waded into the fray, saying some people have been spreading misconceptions about their performance. There is no agenda behind releasing these facts other than making sure that the people that we're serving have accurate information about our police service. The RCMP's future as Surrey's police has potentially been thrown into uncertainty because of former Mayor Doug McCallum, who is seeking his old job and wants Surrey to go it alone on policing, even if it costs more. It will be a little bit more expensive to have our own police force, but the people of Surrey are willing um, to pay that little bit more so that their communities are safer. And he took issue with the RCMP's unusual move today. Well, I think it's really unfortunate that the RCMP um, have come out with that statement um, right in the middle of the election. Um, The RCMP is mirrored in scandal after scandal now. And, and, you know, our people of Surrey um, deserve better. McCallum's chief rival for the mayor's post, Tom Gill, doesn't back getting rid of the RCMP, but he says the people of Surrey should have the final say. Surrey first will launch a referendum on the future of policing in Surrey. Policing is the single biggest cost to our budget and there will be significant costs for any transition. We need to ask the question on whether Surrey has outgrown the RCMP. But the RCMP insists they're doing a fine job and deny their move today had anything to do with politics. We proudly serve here and uh, we want to remain impartial. Uh, People will be able to make decisions for themselves. Whatever the case, it seems clear that police and crime will likely be key issues on voting day. Keith Baldry, Global News. Right now, though, a Nanaimo-based company is the talk of North American stock markets tonight. The wild fluctuations in its share price taking investors on a roller coaster ride. Ted Chernecki tells us why marijuana producer Tilray Inc. has exploded onto the markets. 
Today's closing bell at the New York Stock Exchange starting to sound like an alarm bell to some investors. It's the longest bull market on record and today a new high for the Dow Jones Industrial Average. And speaking of highs, there's none higher on the financial talk shows than a relatively small Nanaimo company called Tilray. Meanwhile, Canadian pop producer Tilray giving up 90%, a one-day surge in a wild day of trading. Tilray is one of only three Canadian pot stocks traded on U.S. markets. Recently, the U.S. Federal Drug Enforcement Administration gave Tilray approval to import cannabis into the United States for a medical research pilot project. But that alone should not have accounted for its crazy climb in value. So it's a very small, what we call float. There's not a lot of stock, but there's a ton of people interested, and that's what you've seen reflected in this market. And then it, be- it begets itself. The frenzy feeds even more frenzy. Tilray went public in July with a stock offering around $17 a share. At one point yesterday, it hit $300. Trading was halted five times before a big sell-off. But still, the stock is up by close to 1,000% since going public. So a lot of people were taking profits, and that's what's produced what you're seeing today. They know I think in their hearts that, yeah, this has been fundamentally overvalued. I mean, we're talking about, as you say, about a market cap at one point yesterday that was significantly higher than Canadian Tire, WestJet and Rogers all combined. China has been taking advantage of the United States for a long time. Usually a multi-billion dollar trade war with China would spook the markets. It is a big mistake to antagonize countries by cutting off their businesses that have been cooperating with us. This stock market seems to be now in a phase of ignoring bad news, like it did prior to the dot-com financial bust in 2001. And analysts agree that the value of a stock like Tilray makes no economic sense. Ted Schernacki, Global News. A weather alert for Metro Vancouver. It's almost fall and the first storm of the season is about to hit. We'll bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon right now for the details. Christy. Thanks, Chris. Yes, here it is, the first big Pacific storm of the season. Now, it's not incredibly strong, but we certainly will feel its impact. Starting off with tonight, we will see 30 millimeters of rain by the morning hours, the heaviest expected after midnight, and the mountains and northern regions really getting hit hardest. Then a little break from the rain Friday morning, but the winds will be strong along the Strait of Georgia. Ferry delays tomorrow are certainly a possibility. Then Friday afternoon through Saturday morning, another wave of heavy rain, another 30 millimeters near the mountains, but also a concern here, thunderstorms and strong winds Saturday morning with the possibility of power outages. Well, if it seems that you're getting more and more unwanted calls on your cell phone, you probably are. A new U.S. study says the number of scam calls is exploding and will only get worse. Our consumer reporter Andrew is here with the details and and really what we can do about it. Yeah, well, there's not a whole lot you can do. It's so alarming how many calls we get. Thanks, you too. An ominous warning from an American call protection and data provider, which predicts that by next year, nearly half of all calls to mobile phones will be from fraudsters. First Orion offers call protection solutions to tens of millions of mobile subscribers in the U.S. Their 2018 Scam Call Trends and Projections report analyzed more than 50 billion calls made to cell phone customers over the past 18 months. Their data shows a more than 25% spike in mobile scam calls over the past year, from 3.7% of total calls in 2017 to 29.2% this year. And they say that number could reach nearly 45% by early next year. 
everybody's got a smartphone, so it's, it's, it's not a real surprise to me that this is on the up and up. Most of the times, the, the phone numbers are spoofed so that they look like they're coming from the area code where you live. They can even spoof numbers that you recognize. Sometimes people say, the number's calling me is my number. How is that possible? So it's, it's less scary if you're seeing a 604 or 250 number coming on your phone, so you're more likely to pick it up. Now, the best advice here, don't pick up, especially if you don't recognize the number. You can put yourself on the National Do Not Call Registry found on the Canadian Radio, Television and Telecommunications Commission website to limit telemarketing calls. And many apps also claim to stop robocalls. Still, experts say neither option will stop all of the unwanted, unwanted calls, unfortunately. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks, Ann. A popular Vancouver punk band is struggling tonight to deal with a crime that almost, almost cost them the tour. Their van and trailer have been stolen along with all of their equipment just as they were about to head out. But as Catherine Urquhart reports, the show will go on. For more than 25 years, the Real Mackenzies have been entertaining audiences around the world. The Vancouver-based Celtic punk band is launching a multi-city tour, but they nearly had to cancel after thousands of dollars worth of their equipment was stolen. Initially, I thought the tour was over. And then the little voice in my head said, no. On Tuesday, their van and trailer were taken near 27th and Gladstone. Inside was $8,000 worth of gear. Two 100-watt guitar amps and heads and one 100-watt SVT Ampeg bass setup. Their van and trailer were recovered, albeit damaged. So the Vancouver City Police gave it back to me and this is how we start our vehicle. Screwdriver... Turn away. Boom. I feel drunk and tight. Just a wee bit tipsy tonight. Honestly, to me, my whole life is rock and roll. The Real Mackenzies managed to rent new gear. And just in time, their tour starts this week in Bellingham. If there was the slightest little spark of a possibility that I can get around this, I'm going for it. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Boys, it's going to be fun. Mm -hmm. New insight tonight into the man who went on a deadly shooting rampage along Toronto's Danforth Avenue this summer. Newly released police documents indicate Faisal Hussein had been arrested for shoplifting and released just two days before. Police found he did not have friends and spent much of his time playing video games. He was found in possession of cocaine. Hussein shot 15 people, two of them fatally, before taking his own life. In the U.S., the sexual assault allegations against U.S. Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh are still weighing heavily on his confirmation. Just hours away from a Friday morning deadline, it is still uncertain whether his accuser, Christine Blasey Ford, will testify at a Senate hearing next week. After days of uncertainty on Capitol Hill, Judge Brett Kavanaugh's accuser, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, telling the Senate Judiciary Committee she does want to testify, but not on Monday. And her lawyer says only if they can agree on terms that are fair and which ensure her safety. We want Christine Ford! 
Protesters trying to buy her more time. Democrats taking Republicans to task. They're giving her an option. The option is show up Monday or don't show up at all. I consider that to be bullying. I consider that to be disregarding. Standing with graduates of Ford's high school, presenting a letter of support signed by 1,000 fellow alums. This as outside groups rush to air TV ads, both supporting Kavanaugh. He's dedicated to his family. He's of the highest integrity. And attacking him. We can't let Brett Kavanaugh decide on our rights for a generation. The nominee, said by supporters to be in battle mode, eager to defend his reputation. Spending a third day this week at the White House preparing to testify Monday. But it is unclear whether there will even be a hearing if Ford does not appear. She is just under exquisite and almost unimaginable pressure. Ford asking for an FBI investigation before she speaks, but the White House and Republicans not budging. Blaine Alexander, NBC News, Washington. In health matters tonight... New, uh, new British research says eating a Mediterranean diet can lower the risk of stroke for women over the age of 40, but not as much for men. The study found women who consumed a diet high in fish, fruit, vegetables, nuts and beans have a 22% reduced risk of having a stroke. Men only have a 6% reduced risk, but researchers say that could be a statistical anomaly. And a Danish study has found that a high-gluten diet during pregnancy might increase the risk of diabetes in children. The study found that children of mothers who ate the most gluten were twice as likely to develop type 1 diabetes. Experts say more studies are needed before any dietary changes can be recommended, though. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. It's been described as like a scene out of a horror movie. Dozens of birds suddenly falling out of the sky. A total of 42 European starlings are now being tested to determine what may have caused their deaths. They were seen flying in a swarm and then plunging straight into the pavement near the Tawasan Ferry Terminal last Friday. Witness Kevin Beach says it was a horrible sight. No, it was really weird. I keep telling people it was kind of like Alfred Hitchcock weird, you know, the one with the birds. Yeah, it was that creepy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they literally dove right into the ground. We're unsure if it's a toxin that has killed them, um, some sort of poison, or if it's stress. Uh, oftentimes, flocking birds that are migratory um, are under duress and malnutrition. jet, a Formula One car, an electric car, and a superbike among the contestants in this race in Turkey. The winner might surprise you. We'll tell you about it right after the forecast. Check in right now with Christy for a look outside. Yes, uh, has it already arrived, the storm we've been talking about? <laughs> Not the heavy rain, but certainly the rain began through the afternoon hours, and this is a scene out there right now. So the last couple of days of summer are going to feel like fall, and then the first couple of days of fall are going to feel like summer. Did I get you confused there? <laughs> I'll explain. All right, so here's a look at things. Uh, first of all, we, we have uh, rainfall across the region. Some intense cells starting to push across Vancouver Island. The bulk of it for the lower mainland after midnight, I think, will be the most intense rain. And then before about 7 a.m., it's sort of a one-two punch because we're going to see the effects of the warm front first. That's tonight. A bit of a lull in the action in terms of rain tomorrow morning. And then this uh, cold front will push on shore tomorrow afternoon, and we'll see that rainfall along 
along with thunderstorms into our Saturday morning. So that's a timeline for the rainfall. West Coast will see up to 100 millimeters of rain, but all of these areas special weather statement. So not quite warning criteria, but up to 60 millimeters of rain. And that's in addition to tonight and again tomorrow. So by Saturday morning. Here's the timeline for the winds, though. West Coast of Vancouver Island getting hit now. It will start to pick up overnight for the inner coast, but really the strongest winds for that region will happen through the day on Friday, and that's why we could see some delays in the ferries. And then for the lower mainland, the strongest winds are expected more so on Saturday. Not 60 kilometers an hour, but about 50 kilometers an hour. Now, with the fact that the ground is not saturated, I'm not expecting massive fallen trees like this. More so with the drought that we had through the summer, broken branches. That is what could cause power outages and because the winds won't be quite as strong. And again, that's Saturday morning that we'll be watching that for that across the lower mainland. Dry and beautiful across the north, a bulk of that rainfall across the south from basically Quinell further south and across uh, the lower mainland. 17, so not too bad on Friday for warmth, but we do cool down on Saturday, still showers, and then we change over to fall Saturday evenings. The first full day of fall will be Sunday, and it will be beautiful. And look at that stretch right through much of next week. And I'll leave you with a beautiful shot looking back at the sunshine we had earlier in the week in Whistler. Thanks to Cheryl for that. Weather windows have been on point last little while. <laughs> yeah, Very lots nice. of people sending them in. Thanks, Cheryl. Well done. Well, we're not sure who needed this question answered. I feel like you probably. <laughs> I, I do need it answered. <laughs> but it did generate some pretty cool video. This race in Turkey featured an F-16 fighter jet, a private jet, a Formula One car, two high-performance sports cars, a Kawasaki superbike, and a Tesla. It was held on the runway of a new airport during Turkey's first aerospace and technology festival. The superbike won the race by four one-hundredths of a second, just edging out the Formula One car. But the Tesla held its own, which I'm, I'm pleased to see, for no reason at all. Where did it come in the... I think it was fourth. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> well, you weren't driving it, so if you Yeah, exactly. It, I'm glad you pointed that out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hey, uh, very quickly, before we bring Squire in, we can bring you in for this, too, because we want to mention mm-hmm. an honor given to one of our former co-workers and, frankly, a legend here at Global. If it's downtown, we should probably double shoot it. Okay, thanks. There's our man, Clive Jackson. Our former assignment editor is being awarded the 2018 Jack Webster Foundation Bruce Hutchison Lifetime Achievement Award. He uh, began his career here as a reporter way back when we were called BCTV. He moved to the assignment desk in 1990 and was one of the biggest reasons that Global remained the market leader for news. He retired three years ago. We still miss him. Mm-hmm. The yeah. Lifetime Achievement Webster couldn't be going to a more deserving person. I mean, look at... And that face is full of mischief. Yes, it is. <laughs> Action Jackson. Hi, Clive, if you're watching. <laughs> I That's like the right. fact he had the Manchester United screensaver on his computer. <laughs> That's true. Well, he started his career as a and Fleet Street re- his right. back in, back in uh, London. Back so. in the old country. Yeah. Okay. Okay, this whole Elias, Elias. You know what? He, he needs a nickname. Pedersen, Peterson. Right? Yeah. Pedersen, Peterson could be either or. or you have your, <laughs> That you should have be your... his nickname, either have we or. Have him yet? <laughs> Uh, yeah, he says, he sort of said both, actually. He said whatever you want. Basically. <laughs> you pay me, you can call me what you want. Uh, the third of three straight preseason games is at Rogers Arena tonight. King's in town. Uh, the Canucks won't have Louis Erickson. He has a bruise and is week to week. 
that must be some bruise if it's week to week. Uh, what we will see tonight is what we talked about after the game on Tuesday. I'll go with Elias. Elias Pedersen and Brock Besser on the same power play at the same time. The Canucks are using the four forwards and one defenseman power play. Gets another chance. Nice move. Elias Pedersen dazzled in his debut as a Canuck, especially on the power play. Tonight, add Brock Besser to that power play unit, and it could make for the most excitement Canucks fans have seen in years. The players are certainly pumped about the possibilities. As you can see, when uh, you know Elias could can shoot the puck, and they know that. I know there's plays like cross ice or bows open or the tops open, so um, you know there's a, there's a, a lot of open space and um, you know, I think it, it creates a lot more offense for us and it, it should generate a lot more shots. Besser with a chance, shoots, scores! Besser proved last year he's got a world-class shot, firing 29 goals in just 62 games as a rookie. Pedersen too has a ripper, even though he's barely 165 pounds, the young lanky Swede has shown he can beat goalies from anywhere. To have two dangerous options for the Canucks on the top power play unit has fans dreaming of the possibilities. Travis Green, on the other hand, bit of a buzzkill. It's nice that we have these young players, and, and I'm excited to see them. Um, but to sit here and say that they're going to take the league by, uh, by a storm is, let's let them play a few games together. Mr. Excitement. Uh, Jay Beagle will make his debut tonight, uh, centering a line with Jake Furtanen and Darren Archibald. Signed a four-year, $12 million contract in the summer, was brought in to provide an example of what it takes to win a championship. For a guy his age, he's in phenomenal shape. Uh, you know, he's got a lot of habits that you want in your group, and you can see why, uh, you know, he's won championships wherever he's gone. He's, he's a good leader. He will be a good, good leader, he's a good example for our young guys. We also got a really good group here that, of young guys, you know, who, who want to learn and want to um, win and, and grow. And you can see that and, and just from even talking with them and just being here um, and seeing how hard that uh, this group works. It's a, it's a hard working group and that's a great foundation to have. Hopefully his bite will be worse than his bark. Uh, Tiger Woods has gone from Beagles to Tigers. Uh, this, of course, is a Tour Championship. Only 30 players, final event of the FedEx Cup playoffs, and Tiger had it going on today. Approach shot here on 12 to 4 feet, made a bird. And then on the uh, 18th, this is for Eagle. Count it. Five under par, he's tied for the lead. Tied with Ricky Fowler, who on the 14th. Sinks a 20-footer. No Canadians in the field. Adam Hadwin didn't get in the top 30. He was 36. On the same day, the UFC was hyping the October 6th lightweight title fight between Habib Nurmagomedov nice. and Conor McGregor. Uh, they announced that McGregor had signed an eight-fight deal with the uh, premier MMA company, which makes sense because McGregor is the UFC's biggest star. Interestingly enough, Khabib, I'm just going to go first names from here on out, is the betting favorite on October 6th. But according to Connor, he is the better bet. I know he is afraid of a smack. And if you're afraid of a smack off me, a smack will feel like a double barrel shotgun. So I believe the inside the force. But 
I have been wrong before. I will be prepared for five rounds. You're looking at a fighting veteran. I've came through it all. I've been through it all. But this man is a glass jaw bomb. And I'm going to shatter him like that glass was shattered. May God have mercy on its soul on October 6th. Khabib, do you have a prediction? <laughs> One guy plays the game and the other guy's uh, like, I'll just man, fight. Forget the fight. Just let him talk. Oh, yeah, that's the best part. And really, I had to, like, there was very little I could use because every once in a while, the F-bomb would oh, show up halfway through the sentence. So Of course. There you right. go. Thanks, Squire. All right, let's check in with Jay Durant now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jay? Thank you, Sophie. Emergency crews responding tonight to a crash on Highway 5 near Barrier after a semi rolled down an embankment. Our crews are on scene and we'll have the latest for you tonight. And Chilliwack RCMP are asking for the public's help in locating this man. 33-year-old Kyle Travis Neal is traveling in a red Ford F-250 pickup, BC license plate MP5649. The vehicle is missing the front bumper. Police and family are concerned for his well-being and believe he may be in need of medical attention. Those stories and a lot more when you join us tonight at 11. Chris, Sophie. All right, looking forward to it. Thanks, Jay. An ancient sea monster makes its first appearance at UBC. That story is up next. But first, here's Kasia Paderka with five things to do this weekend. Kasia? For the first weekend of fall, we've got things that'll warm you up and get you loving your indoor space. Let's start there. The Vancouver Interior Design Show. Three days of the latest designs, concepts, and products that can improve the look and feel of your living space. Expect countless ideas and opportunities to connect with famous world-class designers. It's a fall and harvest moon tradition. The Renfrew Ravine Moon Festival celebrates this week's full moon with a harvest fair, lantern art, live music, and a lantern procession. And now for a celebration of our cold-blooded friends. The Reptile Club Fall Expo is all about promoting public awareness of reptiles and amphibians. Get to know some dragons, snakes, geckos, and lizards, and learn about caring for these guys here in BC. Tony Award-winning The Book of Mormon is coming to the Queen Elizabeth Theatre in Vancouver. Critics say this will restore your faith in musicals, and the New York Times calls it the best musical of the century. You'll have eight showtimes to choose from. Great company, dancing, music, and all that jazz. That's what you can expect at the Nanaimo International Jazz Festival, which includes free concerts downtown, a swing and jazz dance, and a headliner from New York City. For more, go to globalnews.ca slash five things. Five Things to Do is brought to you by BCAA. Get a BCAA membership and save with our many partners. Plus, get the best roadside assistance. Coming up on ET Canada, Meghan Markle makes her mark and Toronto erupts with We Day. Plus, if you like This Is Us, why you will love the new movie Life Itself. That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. He didn't even crack a smile when he said that. No, it was quite a pun. (laughs) Quite a pun. Thank you, Paul. Well, the atrium of UBC's Earth, I know. Wow, look at that thing needs Ooh. to eat. It's like all skin and bones. Not even skin, just bones. It looks a little like the entrance to Jurassic Park these days, thanks to that guy behind us. Sarah McDonald reports on the addition of a sea monster that once swam in the waters off BC. It's a specimen none of us has ever seen before with a name that might leave you tongue-tied. It's just really cool. It's nice to see the students coming in here and uh, looking up from their cell phones and going... The Elasmosaurus, believed by experts to have been a menacing monster of the sea some 80 million years ago, now has a new permanent home. 
on UBC campus. I think to walk in and see something this big is pretty arresting, you know, because we don't imagine creatures swimming around in the ocean. In length alone, it measures 13 meters. That's roughly eight average-sized humans stacked vertically. It's hard to imagine something this big ever actually existing, but experts say it actually thrived in the same waters where so many of us now swim. A BC connection, definitely. This was a beast that 80 million years ago would have been swimming around in the oceans that were in this part of the world. But only a single set of Elasmosaurus remains has ever been unearthed, so this is a cast skeleton. Installed over the course of two days, the result of months of planning. It's a big part of BC, and it's nice to be able to walk to class and see something like that. It's really awesome. There is an important distinction to be made here. Even though this marine reptile coexisted with dinosaurs, it actually isn't one itself. Keeps your eyes looking up, sit at your phone, at the ground. It's cool. Though even in fossilized form, it's enough to foster the imagination as remnants of the Jurassic era meet the new millennium. Sarah McDonald, Global News, UBC. Do you think it knows Ogopogo? <laughs> I was thinking they're the distant same thing. relatives. Yeah. I think. <laughs> distant relatives. That's Maybe. pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, big storm on the way, blowing in off uh, the Pacific coast, although right. not here yet, quite yet. Yeah, the rain has has developed, but the heaviest rain will be overnight. 30 millimeters along the North Shore and northern parts of Metro Vancouver. We'll see gusty winds tonight, but it's more so Friday night through Saturday morning that I'm expecting the winds, and that's when we could see some power outages. But for the Strait of Georgia, the winds will happen through the day tomorrow, so I am mm. thinking that we may see some delays in the ferries mm. tomorrow. So if you're uh, headed to the island, be wary of that. All right. Thanks very much. Once again, way to go, Clive Jackson. I know you're watching. <laughs> Who gets the Lifetime Achievement Award there? Congrats. Pretty amazing. Yes. To Clive. Have a good night.